Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It's pretty obvious to me and anyone who's listened to the president and will look at the facts that his anti-immigrant rhetoric, uh, not just the things that I cited, but calling asylum seekers animals or an infestation. Now, you might describe a cockroach or termites as an infestation, something less than human. You might hear someone in the Third Reich describe uh, a given people based on their characteristic as an infestation or subhuman. But that's what the President of the United States is doing right now. We have a president who made his career politically on demonizing Mexicans, and now we're seeing reports that the shooter yesterday had his goal as killing as many Mexicans as possible. Uh, You don't have to use a lot of imagination to connect the dots here. All of the evidence out there uh, suggests that we have a president who is a racist, who is a xenophobe, uh, who appeals and is trying to appeal to white nationalism. We have a president of the United States who uses the microphone, which is probably one of the most powerful tools in the hand of the president of the United States, and uses that microphone in a way that is about division in our country. He is not only egging on white supremacy and white nationalism, but he is Uh, one himself. It's enough. It's enough. You know, welcome to the Savage Nation. I'm going to talk about the mass shooting again today for a reason that I don't have to explain to you. Now, most days I use Aristotelian logic. It's flawless. I studied science, uh, scientific method and logic. I also studied logic in mathematical forms where you can do it by math. I know pure logic. I study pure logic, but today I'm going to do a mixture of pure logic and something different, which is just put out ideas without any conclusions attached to them. So before I go to that, I must say that the Dayton shooter was a left-wing fanatic. He was an Antifa. I realized that CNN was forced to report on this reluctantly, but you must understand that that's one of the biggest default stories in America today. The Dayton shooter was a left-wing radical, and he was a member of Antifa. This is a confirmed reality. Dayton shooter Connor, whatever his name was, was in a porno grind metal band. We have a picture of him on michaelsavage.com wearing a dress. He was the furthest thing from a conservative right-winger you could ever imagine. He was a left-wing fanatic, a mental case. He met all of the attributes of a Democrat from top to bottom. And yet the demagogues that I have just played, Beto, Mayor Pete, Bernie, Kamala Harris, Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, all blame Trump for the mass shootings. I would say shame on them, but you know that they have no shame. But I must say that I'm very disappointed in Donald Trump. For him to have said that our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy was a grave error on his part because... Not everyone who supports America is a white supremacist. That is guilt by association. We all know that there are white supremacists, as there are black supremacists, Hispanic supremacists. Look at La Raza, which means the race. And need I remind you again that one of Obama's chief advisors was uh, a a woman named Munoz who ran, ran La Raza before she was ushered into the Oval Office herself to run La Raza inside Obama's White House. 
She was clearly an Hispanic supremacist. You've got black supremacists. You've got Asian supremacists. So all races have supremacists. To focus on white supremacists is uh, obviously to make all white people feel guilty by association. Don't fall for it, please. Please don't fall for it. So now I want to play Donald Trump's Malapro, which was stated the other day, and I'm going to play it until you understand that something's wrong here. Because I tweeted this morning, and I got some really weird answers, by the way. I tweeted uh, a simple statement, which I'll read to you. If I could find it, the way they change Twitter, you can't even find what you put on yourself. Where is this? Here, Trump condemns white supremacy. Can you define this? What about black supremacy or Hispanic supremacists or Asian supremacists? Has he alienated the patriotic white community? Who drove him into leftist ideology? You got to look at the answers to understand what people are thinking out there. But I want you to listen to clip A now, please. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. I don't know who wrote this high school level uh, trife. Just garbage. Just garbage. It's trash. It's high school level. It's just high school level. I'm sorry. I don't know who his speechwriter is, but he really needs a new one. He ought to change him really quickly. And I said to you today, I'm not going to use Aristotelian logic. I'm going to use some logic, and then I'm going to use some non-logic. Not logic. I'm just going to give you some facts. A story came out as I was perusing the news before the show that I thought you'd be interested in. And I don't know if it's related to any of this, but I thought it's worth mentioning to you. It's about Hitler. Now, the reason I was drawn to the story is because you're talking about white supremacy. It doesn't get any more extreme than that of Adolf Hitler, correct? Well, it says Hitler's secret history revealed. Study suggests Nazi leader's grandfather was Jewish. I said, that's an odd story for America and the world right now at a time that we're all supposed to be focused on white supremacy. And the, the sine qua non exemplar of white supremacy would be Adolf Hitler. For years, Fox News reports, the rumor existed that, that Adolf's paternal grandfather was Jewish, but the claim went unsubstantiated. Now a new study suggests that the grandfather of the Nazi leader was indeed Jewish. Published in the Journal of European Studies, the study authored by family physician and psychologist Dr. Leonard Sachs refutes claims by the German historian Niklaus von Paradovich, who said not a single Jew, kein einziger Jude, was living in Graz prior to 1856. Pardon me for the correct enunciation and pronunciation. I know it offends many of you out there. Uh, drawing on evidence from Austrian archives from the 1800s, Dr. Sachs documents that there was, in fact, a settled community of Jews living in Graz before 1850, a press release accompanying the study states. And Dr. Sachs presents overwhelming evidence that Paradovich was a Nazi sympathizer who was offended by the suggestion that Hitler was a Vietrelujud, a one-quarter Jew. That's the, the part of the story. You can read it yourself on michaelsavage.com. Again, there's no conclusion to be drawn from this. I didn't ask you for one, right? I just told you we're going to move around here. So let's go to the next soundbite of the most hateful, despicable lowlife in the history of the media, in the history of politics, Bernie Sanders. Thank God he's collapsing in the polls because people have seen him for what he is, which is a low-grade uh, low seltzer man. 
the type of poked you in the chest and gave you spritzes in the face when he lectured you on the virtues of socialism. He poked you in the chest with a finger and he spritzed you in the, in the nose and eye with his spittle. So here is the spritzer Bernie in clip number C. Today I say to Donald Trump, stop your anti-immigrant rhetoric. Ah, shut stop up, you lowlife. Go back to because yourself, that language, that hatred, that divisiveness creates a situation where certain people will do terrible things. The worst and most terrible thing ever done to the world was you being born. You have destroyed the American political world. You've created monsters like uh, Occasional Cortex, who is nothing but a mini-you in a skirt. He's created so many monsters who are young who believe his communist uh, uh, rhetoric. He is responsible for it. Has he apologized for blaming white people for the shooting? Has he apologized for saying that the shooter was a white supremacist in Dayton when it's been well established now even by CNN of all places that he identified as an anti-fascist and slandered Nazis and gun violence in social media posts that have since been removed from Twitter and Facebook? Do you understand that? His ideology was leftist. That was part of his motive. His ideology was that of most of the Democrats, but they won't admit it. Now, what's going on outside of Mitch McConnell's house is very worrisome, and it goes to something I said yesterday. We have limits on the First Amendment. It's not absolute. We do not have absolute freedom of speech in this country. It's impossible to permit that. We have limited free speech. You cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. You cannot go out and yell kill someone without being arrested. The First Amendment does not give you that right. But the radical leftist Antifa fanatics are doing this right outside of uh, Mitch McConnell's house, calling for his death. Listen to clip E on the Savage Nation. I am not trying to break my shoulder like Mitch. Hopefully some m- out there with some booty dolls in these Yeah, you know somebody is. That's probably what it is. Just stab the mother in the heart, please. Very literate, very, very advanced mentality, very advanced English speakers. Yeah, very advanced people out there. Here's the next one of the advanced protesters outside of McConnell's house in Clip F. Murder, turtle! Murder, turtle! Murder, turtle! Thoughts and prayers, bitch. Right? You heard thoughts and prayers, ho? People's families is gone. Thoughts and prayers. You don't give a f- So we don't literate? give a f- about you. See how advanced your thoughts and prayers, is? Mitch. You f- you. F- your wife. No everything you stand you for. You don't get no peace. See how advanced the English language can be used if you're very advanced, an advanced mentality. Now, if you can't keep up with it, it's because you probably are trapped in white supremacy with correct English, correct pronunciation, dignity, and things of that nature. And you got to just drop that white supremacy. And you got to get down and start screaming like that in order to be accepted by the Democrat Party. I'll go on, and if you don't like it, it's too bad. You know what you could do with it, don't you? These are not uh, people who are uh, respecting or practicing the First Amendment. They should be arrested immediately. You don't go outside a man's house and scream murder turtle, murder turtle, and things like that. That is illegal. They broke the law. If you cross state lines to incite a riot or to incite murder, you go to jail. That's not the First Amendment. They're violating it, as you well know, as you well know. You understand that? 
Now, the president is going to El Paso tomorrow, isn't he? Tomorrow is the day in El Paso. I have mixed feelings about that one. But, uh, okay, he's going. That decision was made. Then there's the scandal brewing about the Muslim congresswoman uh, Omar, the sacred, the one who poses as a sacred above it all, cleaner than the driven snow. It turns out she has an affair, allegedly, with a Dem strategist who was married to a physician for many years. He, he was, or is. But she steered him $250,000 from her campaign finances. Ilhan Omar has been seen getting up close and personal with married aide Tim Minnett. DailyMail.com can exclusively reveal. Uh, and apparently, apparently, this guy is a thug. He tried to prevent the bystander from taking a video of the couple. That's Omar and the uh, male, Minette. He's a fundraising expert. He previously worked for the fanatic Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison. And Omar took over Ellison's congressional seat when he ran for, for AG. But the scandal here is that FEC records show that Omar's camp has paid this guy Minute, East Street Group, a company he set up, more than $250,000 in consulting fees and travel expenses in a year. Now, as you well know, this Omar has a very shady marriage history. It's alleged she married a brother, then she married this one, she married that one. But as long as she has something on her head, she's sacred. You understand how the game plays, don't you? You understand once you have a head covering, you're one of the untouchables in America? You can't say anything because she's not a white supremacist. I mean, she wears it to say, I am not a white supremacist, and therefore she is above the law. So don't ask any questions because I won't tell you any lies. Savage. You know, these are troubling times for most Americans. It's very hard to be a white male in this country today, especially a young, drug-free, hard-working hard-studying white boy. I ran into a man in the supermarket this morning. He has four children, I think four. And we started to chat. He listens to the show, and he said to me, his son is a 4.1 average, wants to go to the U.S. Naval Academy, but he's depressed that he won't get in because of affirmative action. He said, I know you faced it with your Ph.D. Uh, after you got your Ph.D. from Cal with almost a 4.0 I said, that's part of the reason the country is collapsing is because they're putting unqualified, incompetent people into positions across the nation, whether it be in academia, the military, you name it. Everybody knows this. You can't sweep it under the rug. But do you know what a devastating effect it is having upon white boys? Do you have any idea? You think I'm not going to say it because I'm afraid of offending someone? You must be joking. That is a form of abuse to do this to white males you understand that that's white. that's abuse it's abuse to put down their race it's abuse to make them to try to make them feel ashamed for their race do you understand that but that's what's going on in our schools today there's another story that you must hear about related to all of this owner of hn says the manifesto was not uploaded by the el paso walmart shooter this is so critical to your putting together the pieces first of all I want to go back to my initial tweet because some of you got it when I put it up right after the shooting in El Paso. Some of you didn't quite get it. And I, I, I want to read what I wrote. Here we go. This was on August 4th. I don't know the time. I said, mass shootings with assault rifles. Why two in a row right after Dem debate shoot down chances of winning? 
And then I said on my show yesterday, my radio show, that I read his manifesto and it was super literate. There was not a grammatical error in it. It's almost impossible to believe that anyone as stupid as him could have written something as literate, whether you want to accept it or not. I'm not saying the words are acceptable. I didn't say that. I'm saying from the point of view of a piece of writing, there were no errors in it. There were no grammatical errors. Everything was correct. Somebody wrote it for him, I said yesterday. I'm like a detective. That's my job. I'm a detective. That's what a person does in the media. We try to detect the truth for you. We don't own the truth. None of us owns the truth. We try to detect the truth for for ourselves and then for you. We try to help you put the pieces together. That's our job. We don't own the truth. So let's put the pieces together. The owner of HN says the manifesto was not uploaded by the El Paso Walmart shooter. Somebody else wrote it. Somebody else uploaded it. The whole thing stinks to high heaven. They're going after our Second Amendment as sure as I'm sitting here. I speak 50 words of English. Back to the Savage Nation. I appreciate that, Robert. That's a funny rap song I did. Dayton mass shooter Connor Betts was the lead singer of a misogynistic porno grind metal band called Menstrual Munchies, which released songs about rape, murder, necrophilia, and other gruesome acts against women. He was not a white supremacist. In fact, he was a leftist. He was an antifa. He was a fanatical left-wing violent person. He used methamphetamine at some points in his life. He was a sexually repressed character. His own bandmates said he was very bad with women, and he slaughtered nine people on Sunday, including his own sister. So to place the label white supremacist on him is absurd. You can't call him a white supremacist when he killed his own sister, and he was known for this background, and he was a left-winger. The first one seems to be a white supremacist in El Paso because he said he wanted to kill as many Mexicans as possible, according to the manifesto. You'd have to say, yes, he belongs to that fringe group, but not the second one. Do you understand that? Chicago, Mike, line four, go ahead, please. It blows my mind that you make every excuse in the book to not call this what it is. Even the president. Well, sir, did you hear what I just said? Do you know the facts of the second shooter? Wait, sir, you can't blow your mind. You have no mind. All you have is hatred. You have no mind. All you have is hate in your heart. I'll repeat it again. The first shooter was a white supremacist by any measure. The second one was not. Do you understand that? All of them were. Why? Because you say so? A man without a mind? Okay, okay, okay. Calm down. Goodbye. Goodbye. I do not talk to people who are half-wits. So let's go back to the people who have a full brain and are shooting with a full deck here. The first one, by his own definition, was a white supremacist. He said he wanted to kill as many Mexicans as possible. The second one could not be defined as a white supremacist because he was a misogynistic, sexually repressed, drug-addicted lunatic who killed his own sister and wounded 27 innocent people. He was in a band. You'll call it a band. The band played sexually violent music, if you can believe it. And he met his girlfriend, uh, says she saw red flags and a dark side while they dated. Listen, li- this you have to listen to, to hear what goes on in our society today. January 2019, Connor and I met in our social psych class 
at Sinclair College, a real great university, that must be. They accepted him. We bonded over the laughable conspiracy theories that our professor tried to preach as we walked to similar parking spots. We also were very open about our mental illnesses from the very beginning. He told me that he had bipolar disorder and possibly OCD. Wow. She must have gotten really excited over that. She said that didn't scare me. Some of the sweetest people I know have those conditions. Well, I told him that I have depression, generalized anxiety, and ADD. Man, what a curriculum vitae she brings to the dating scene. These two really are made to be Ozzy and Harriet, don't you think? She goes on, we bonded over depression, depression humor, something that only people who have been in the throes of it really ever understand and find humorous. Joking about personal mental illness is one of the biggest coping tools in the mental health tool belt. Man, what a couple of today. What an Instagram couple we have right here. So when he started joking about his dark thoughts, I understood. Dark thoughts for someone with a mental illness are just a symptom that we have to learn how to manage. Joking about wanting to hurt people was just heard as, I have uncomfortable thoughts that are inappropriate to express, but I need to joke about them, otherwise they're too scary and real. People who do not have a mental illness do not understand this sense of humor. They take it too far. But I didn't, so he trusted me. All right, you get the picture. Two losers, in other words. Two psycho losers meet each other in a parking lot, and then she uh, suddenly gets scared because not only was he just screwing around with thoughts, but, but he did some weird things, very weird things with guns, and nobody reported him. Then it came out just yesterday that he put a gun to the head of somebody a few weeks ago. Again, at that point, he should have been arrested. Do you know that brandishing a weapon is a crime? Are you aware of that? That brand, Even if you have a, a CCW, one of the ways to lose a CCW is brandishing your weapon. Did you know that? So at that point, when he put a gun to the head of somebody, Dayton shooter Connor Betts held gun to friend's head five months ago report. Right then and there, the police should have investigated him. Will Il-Fakir, a former friend of the gunman who slaughtered nine outside of a Dayton, Ohio bar, said he cut off their friendship when the mass shooter held a gun to his head about five months ago. Will El-Fakir, who went to the same high school as gunman Connor Betts, told the Dayton Daily News that Betts had been getting a little violent with friends and began to bring guns around them in recent months. Betts then held a gun to El-Fakir's head about five months ago for no reason, he told the newspaper. El-Fakir said he cut ties with Betts after the incident. Now, at that point, El Fakir should have gone to the police. The police should have arrested this idiot for whatever the crime may have been, and they should have made sure he owned no guns. You don't need new laws. Those laws are on the books, by the way. What you need is better reporting, by the way, better reporting of anyone brandishing a weapon, anyone um, menacing you with a gun, you report it to the police. You don't need a new law. You understand that? But having said that, I know many of you um, want to talk about the topic from a different point of view. Let's go to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Kevin, line three. Welcome to the Savage Nation. What's on your mind? Thank you, Dr. Savage. Hey, I've, I've agreed with you for several years on this subject of uh, high-capacity uh, magazines. And, uh, I mean, I own two AR-15s with 30-round mags, and they're not necessary. And, and one thing that could reduce... Uh, 
the the death toll on on shootings would be you don't need them. You know, ten rounds is. is right. I own a Ruger Mini fourteen. I have since nineteen eighty two. I used to own a long twenty. I used to own a twenty shot magazine, which was legal. Then it became illegal. I have only the original five shot clip in the gun. So if you get a lunatic who wants to go on a spree, he's going to have to reload after five. At which point, he could probably be taken down. Yes, I agree. And so, and what's wrong with that? Why does that violate the Second Amendment to limit the size of a magazine? Tell me how that violates the Second Amendment. I, I don't see that it does. But Well, but it, the fanatics would argue that there should be no infringement upon any aspect of gun ownership, which I think is ludicrous on the face of it. Because as I said yesterday, the Second Amendment is not absolute any more than the First Amendment is absolute. You cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't go outside someone, someone's house and yell kill them. That's not the First Amendment. That is not protected by the First Amendment. That's the same thing with guns. There has to be limitations, which we have already. You can't own a fully automatic machine gun anywhere in America, right? So there's already a limitation on the Second Amendment. Yes, I agree. And, and All right, well, okay, so not everybody is as fanatical as you may think. Thank you for understanding where I'm coming from. You know, 855 is the phone number. I have to go back to the menstrual munchies, the group that the Dayton shooter belonged to. And I'm going to try to bleep, bleep out some of the words. They're pretty, uh, they're vile. Over the past year, the 24-year-old shooter occasionally performed live vocals in the band Menstrual Munchies. I guess I could say that, which released albums titled Six Ways of Female Butchery and Preteen Daughter, I Can't Say the Word Slaughter, with cover art showing the rape and massacre of female bodies. He also performed with a group called Putrid Liquid. Do you think that's uh, First Amendment protected? Let me ask you, is that, that's also First Amendment protected? Hmm? So you, you think bands should be able to put out lyrics like this? And let me, should there be limitations on what people can write in music? Yes or no? No. You should, put, you should be able to put it out. You could put out uh, album Six Ways of Female Butchery. That's, that's First Amendment protected. That's good, right? No, not good. Not good. Uh, so Creekbaum, who runs the band, one of Betts' bandmates, Jesse Creekbaum, is taking the recordings down, another artist, another artist. You know, he's the type you see at an airport late at night from San Francisco, trying to be as outrageous as, pos as possible. You know what these people remind me of? I live in San Francisco. I came home late last night. I got it. I'm very, I'm not feeling good. I like got home at one in the morning. The one thing I like about late flights is you see weird people in the airports late at night. I sit and I get a Bud Light sit and sip it no one else is in the bar it's kind of got a certain aura of romance to it looking at the weird people walking around you see a normal array of people with elephant feet that type of thing you know the people who are bloated from the buffets you see them everywhere the american uh the american hippo marching around but then you always got the people if you're flying back to san francisco always trying to be cool one was wearing her hair was cut off and she was wearing an orange jumpsuit to show she was wild and free. The other one, you know you know what I'm talking about, the type. And you look at them, it's so pathetic. What that reminds me of is, um, I think it was Orwell who said, who wrote, the more I hear people screaming, I am free, I am free, I, I am free, the more I hear their chains rattling. That, that's what San Francisco reminds me of. The green hair, the rings in the nose, the rings in the ears, you know, I'm so wild. Hey, let me t tell you something. The wildest people I know don't show it. The wildest people I know look like uh, uh, Ozzy and Harriet. That, that's the way to do it, John. You know that the people are wearing that stuff are out of town. 
They're just out of town trying to show they're cool. That's what this band sounds like to me. Losers from uh, Dayton, Ohio, porno grind scene. The Midwest porno grind scene exists in an obscure pocket of the larger grindcore genre and consists of a handful of bands who often play shows to each other or to small audiences, no kidding. Either, either Even better-known bands in the genre, writ large, such as Germany-based, I can't even say it, CKN, I can't read this, have just thousands of Facebook fans. Uh, menstrual Munchies often perform with other regional acts like Necro Cannibal, A Grinder, Bill Nye, the Nazi Spy, and Sea Torch. I can't read the word. <laughs> Playing festivals like the Porn Fields of Illinois Grindfest. Well, what's going on in the Midwest? That the children are beautiful, normal people who raised crops for the country and built cars for the country have become such psychopathic, drug-using losers like this. What is this? Who do you blame for that? Groups like the Porn Fields of Illinois Grindfest of a former venue in Columbia, Missouri, called UPS Under the Porn Shop, named for its location beneath the Venus Adult Megastore, owned by the mother of fellow scenester Zach Walton of the band Groin Mallet. Groin Mallet. The, the, you listening to these people, what losers they are, what low-grade mental cases they are? She said, well, you don't have to listen to them. No, I don't listen to them. I'm showing you this moron belonged to this group of subterranean losers. It had nothing to do with white supremacy. He was a woman hater because he was unappealing to women. He could not have sex. So he took it all out in hatred. Do you understand that? I guess it goes back to the simple phrase of the Vietnam War when girls put flowers in the barrels of National Guardsmen's rifles and said, make love, not war. I'll be right back. Savage. Well, the hour's almost up. I'm here another live hour. Um, flew home last night since I got home one in the morning. It was a 737. It was a nice one. So I, the whole flight, I thought it was a 737-300, and I was making my prayers. And then I realized, as I went to the bathroom, this can't be a 737-300 because they have a great toilet seat. Now, as a male in, a, in an airplane, I don't know anyone's ever described this. It is one of the most difficult things on Earth to do what a male has to do in a in an airline bathroom. Thank God the 737-800 doesn't have one of those seats that when you lift it up with your foot to avoid touching it, to do your thing, right? I just I, It's an interesting thing. You lift it up with your foot to not touch the dirty thing, right? Well, all the other airplanes, the seat comes back down. Thank God in the 737-800 is sprung so when you lift it with your foot, it stays open. Otherwise, you had to do your thing on one foot, which is very complicated. So I men, you know... So I got to say, thanks for using the 737-800. So I just got a Southwest Airlines email. We want to know how your flight was. I said, great, it didn't crash. That's all, that's all I know. But it was very nice. They did a nice job. I uh, booked early, so I got a free drink. Who could drink at midnight? I did. I had a beer. That's all. What's wrong with having a beer? You know, I like flying home at night. You see the weirdos at the airports, number one. There's a certain, like in a diner feeling, like in a diner. You're like alone in a diner. A late night, like the Night Birds, that famous painting. The Night Owls, the Night Owls, great painting. Anyone know which painting I'm referring to? The two people sitting in the cafe, great painting by a great American painter. And there's only a few places open, the pace is lower. You see all the weirdos going back to San Francisco, wearing the, the rings on the ears, nose, eyes, the orange jumpsuits to look like they're cool. They're probably in a porno grind band in their minds. 
the Westwood One Podcast Network. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Murder turtle! Murder turtle! Murder turtle! Thoughts and prayers, Right? You heard thoughts and prayers, ho. People's families is gone. Thoughts yeah, and prayers. You don't right. give a f- Very literate. Very literate. Very so we don't give a f- about you. Now, these are uh, human beings outside prayers, of Mitch McConnell's house saying murder turtle, F you, F your wife, F you, stand this and that. And uh, the reason I'm playing it is because we did not want to play any sound of white supremacists today on the Savage Nation. So we played sound of non-white supremacists for you to hear in order for you to get a gist of where America should be, according to the Democrats. Outside people's houses, they don't like screaming murder turtle and things of that nature. That is not protected by the First Amendment to say murder a person. They should be arrested immediately. But as you well know, the police have been uh, intimidated by the, rad- the radical left, Antifa, the Democrat Party, all in one, all part of the same exact cabal of anti-Americanism. So we're in a real pickle right now because of these two shootings, aren't we? Well, yes and no. The first one was clearly a white supremacist. He said he wanted to kill Mexicans. However, there are questions about who wrote the manifesto, who posted the manifesto. Uh, as a detective in the radio business, I told you from the first day it was too literate, I thought, for him to have written it so well. Uh, even though it was repugnant, it was grammatically correct. I said it didn't sound right to me. Someone who was very literate wrote that manifesto. And it was too convenient that it was posted so quickly. Well, it turns out today that 8chan says they didn't even post it. It was originally posted on Instagram. So there are questions right away around that, which feeds conspiracy theories that are not irrational in many cases. The second shooter had nothing to do with white supremacy. The Dayton shooter was in a porno grind metal band. There's a picture of him wearing a dress on michaelsavage.com, an actual dress with a black executioner's mask over his face. Very intelligent man, but definitely not a white supremacist by all means because he killed his own sister. The last I checked, I mean, I don't know, the white supremacists killed their sisters in mass murders? It's the first I heard of. He was misogynistic, insane, crazy, drug-addicted, hated women, and uh, couldn't find a woman who would be with him, obviously, unless she was sicker than him. And uh, he was sexually frustrated on drugs, and the rest is history. And we talked about this yesterday. The Dayton shooter is a member of Antifa. I asked yesterday, should weapons of war be banned? I asked, how do you feel about Trump blaming white nationalism when the shooter was leftist? How would you change the laws in order to curtail such future shootings? We suggested that prescription meds be seriously curtailed and cut out altogether in the young. I've been against this since 1983 when I wrote a very important book called, uh, uh, I, I, I think, Feeding Children Well. And it was about the use of Ritalin at that time, mainly in young white boys, to control them by the school system. I knew what it would lead to. Well, we went on with that one because I talked about marijuana promoting violence in many people, especially 
the developing adolescent mind. You take a young kid whose mind is not brain is not fully formed, and you put him on pot. You're altering the mind in a way that you can't even imagine. Then they have behavioral problems from the marijuana. Then they're taken to some shrink who misdiagnoses them and puts them on antidepressants or antipsychotic drugs. The next thing you know, it's a zombie walking around. Now you put a gun in his hand. Now you feed him music put out like this. Now you add the other elements of the uh, movies that are put out by the vermin in Hollywood. Now you put out the ads which always show white males being losers. Now you put him in a classroom where he's told that the whites are evil. Now you put him in a classroom where he's told George Washington was a Hitler. Now you put him in a classroom where everything about his nation that he thought was good is told to be bad. And what you have is a mass murderer in the making. Is that clear enough for you? I'm Michael Savage. I'm not uh, Bernie Shapiro, whatever his name is, running for president. I don't know his name. Bernie, what's his name? The Seltzer Man? I forgot his name. What is a guy like that going to do after he loses? Go back to being the loser he was before he ran. You know, there's a lot of money in running for the presidency. I don't think you know that. That's why so many people run. People don't know how much money is involved. Somebody approached me a few years ago and said, Oh, Savage, you have a big audience. Why don't you establish a PAC for one of the Republicans? I said, I wouldn't do that. Fortunes are being made. Do you know that? Oh, yeah. It's a business like any other. There's a big business in hate. That's what a campaign is today. Not positive, not what I'm going to do for America, but who I'm going to do in America. That's the the logo of the Democrat Party. Ask not what you can do for America, but who you can do in America. Just using some language here. If you care to join the conversation, phone number is 855-407-282. I said it too fast. I'm speaking New Yorkese again. 855. Let me speak like I'm from California. Hi, everybody. This is Michael Savage back with you on the radio. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I'm so I'm so relaxed. I feel like I'm on a waterbed, constantly on a waterbed. This is less savage on a waterbed. And if you care to join the conversation, it's eight five five. What is it now? Four hundred S A V A G E. Yes, that's our number here. There used to be a guy on television when I first moved here in seventies. His name was Les. He advertised waterbeds. I hated waterbeds. I bought one. I, he was such a good salesman. And it was so popular to have a waterbed. I got one. I thought I was drowning. You couldn't get in them. You ever try to get in a waterbed in the days of the waterbed? Does anyone remember those days? Jim, you never owned one, right? You did? You shaking your head, yes, you own one? No, you look like a straight guy, Jim, like church-going Italian guy. You would never have had a waterbed. I tried the waterbed. It was so squishy, you couldn't sleep on the damn thing. I gave it away the next day. I don't know where it is. Maybe they opened it up in a piranha farm or something. They put fish inside of it. You want to keep talking about the shootings, firearms, Second Amendment? Go ahead. Make my day. Call Savage now, 855-400-SAVAGE. But before you do, look at the Dayton shooter, Connor Betts, in a dress and his black uh, mask. He was not a white supremacist. He was a psychopath in plain English. Plain psychopath. You can't define him as anything more than a plain psychopath, okay? That's all there is to it. But when you get the Democrats saying Donald Trump owes America an apology, he uses the microphone to sow hate, I prefer that Donald Trump resign. Blaming Trump for the mass shootings, stupid. Just stupid. Biden putting him down. Biden's lucky he could tie his own shoelaces. Well, he doesn't wear shoelaces. I think they took them away from him about 10 years ago. Isn't it true they took Biden's shoelaces away from him 10 years ago for fear that he'd strangle himself trying to put a shoelace on? 
They could come in his room and find him tying it around his neck. And Mrs. Biden would say, Joe, what are you doing? I'm just tying the shoelace, dear. No, no, it doesn't go on your neck. It goes on your shoes. That's when they bought him uh, loafers. Julian Castro, what a loser that one is. Julian Castro on Trump condemning white supremacy didn't mean that. You read his mind now? Julian Castro, what does he really hate? Senator Gillibrand, another faker. Trump needs to take responsibility for the hate dispute. She's full of hate. She's a faker and a hater from top to bottom. Gillibrand is just a gun grabber from the beginning to the end. She has no chance to become anything. She's doing it for the money, in my opinion. Do you know how much money these people rake in in campaigns? You say, well, they're not allowed to use it for themselves. No, they are not. But take a look at what Omar is doing. Your sacred Omar there. She gave $250,000 to a Dem strategist. Do you understand how it works? No, they don't have to use it themselves. They rake in millions of dollars in a campaign. They hire the wife, the brother, the husband, the children, the mother-in-law, the father-in-law in a nursing home somewhere in Boca. They put him on the books as a consultant. They send the money. This is how it works. We have the most corrupt campaign finance system in the world. It's worse than Uganda. Oh, the country. I don't know. Can this country go on anymore? I guess what you have to do is go on as though it can go on. The few of us who actually work, make a living, and try to make it a better place and pay all the taxes, we're the ones who really have to get up in the morning and do it. I'm not like the ones who call the show and hate and hate me, the ones who say they were both white supremacists. The guy didn't even hear the truth. He doesn't want to know the truth. So you can't talk to people like that. They'll call. They'll try to make their point. If you try to confront them with the facts, they don't want to hear them because they come into the discussion with prejudice. You know what word prejudice means, Mr. Chicago Caller? Mr. Chicago Caller, calling Chicago Caller. You racist Mr. Chicago Caller, you, who has hate in his heart. You know what the word prejudice means, Mr. Chicago Caller? Prejudice means to prejudge. So you prejudged that both these shooters were white supremacists. One was and one was not. But in your mind, because they were both white, they were supremacists. That shows that you are a prejudiced man. You're the man. You're the man. You're the prejudiced man. You get it, man? You're the prejudiced man. It's a new song I'm going to write called The Prejudiced Man. Let's get the music going, Robert. Maybe I'll do it on the air like I did 50 words of English. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'm in the mood. I have a, a, a migraine headache that they should study it like at Mount Sinai, what I have going on in my head right now. If they could study what I have the pain in my head right now and put it on some like machine, a brain machine, they could have a breakthrough in, in migraine treatment after this. That's how I wrote 50 words of English. I got so upset I had to play the music and I just started to rap. I don't dare if I do a prejudice, man. I could, if you could play 50 words, the, the, the rap music behind it, I'll do a song called Prejudice Man. I'll do it without the music. Let me just uh, get the bongo drums going. No, I'm not going to do it. Let's take some calls. You're a prejudiced man. Man, are you prejudiced? Man, are you prejudiced, you prejudiced man? It needs a good beat behind it. You're a prejudiced man, man. You are prejudiced man because you're a prejudiced man, man. Long Island, John, line seven. Go ahead, please, man. Hey, Dr. Savage, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm a firearms instructor, and uh, I teach for my local government. And I can assure you that putting an arbitrary limit on a magazine's capacity would have no effect on a mass shooting. Well, hold on. Wait, let's see why. I have, a, I have, a, I have an AR, excuse me, a, a Ruger, a Mini-14. It's a great gun, right? Yes, sir. Okay. It has a five-shot clip that came with the gun when I bought it in 82. I had to get rid of the 
high-capacity mags in California a number of years ago. So you're telling me if a lunatic has a gun with a five-capacity clip in it, it doesn't slow him down? It just logically does. Uh, No, sir, and the reason for that is when you conduct a reload on a weapon, it's just a manipulation of removing the empty magazine and inserting another one. But wait a minute. That pause, he shoots five shots, the lunatic. To eject that magazine takes time, doesn't it? Not really. It takes a fraction. Well, I mean, not really. It takes time. No, but, sir. It's, well, I mean, no. Let's say it takes a second. Does it take a second? I, I would say it takes maybe about a half second to eject the magazine. They drop free when you press the button. Right. And how long would it take to put a new one in another half a second? So let's say a whole second to drop it and, and reload, right? Okay. So we'll go with that number. So that's one less person dead, isn't it? No, unless you can run faster than 2,600 feet per second, you're not going to you know and I know, and you're not just making this up because you know that you don't want any infringement upon the right to have a, basically a machine gun. You okay. know and I know. You and I both know that a high-capacity magazine makes it much easier, even in a semi-automatic, to kill more people. No, I would say that it doesn't for the simple fact of that if you have the amount of rounds you have to start with, you're going to either get those fired off. What really saves lives is when the shooter is challenged by someone else who's armed or responding to law enforcement. No, I understand all of that, right? If everyone had a gun, it wouldn't have happened. That's never going to happen. Not every kid who goes to a dance wants to ca- carry a Glock. No, I, I don't believe that. Uh, Dr. Savage, while I have you on the phone, can I make a request of you, please? You just did. What is it? Um, my son is one years old now, and I love you. I've been listening to you for years. I would love for you to read all of your books onto an audio book so he can hear your voice. <laughs> I'm not going to do that now. I can't do that now. I have a smashing migraine, but I'm going to send you a copy of A Savage Life for You and Your Lovely Son. I think he has a great father, and I appreciate your willingness to discuss the topic. Stay in the line, Jim. Get his address and send it to the publisher and make sure that they send A Savage Life to him. That is right. That is right. So we can keep talking about this if you'd like. I mean, it's a big story. It's not going away, but I'm going to play a little sound from uh, the today and yesterday. You got uh, Biden. They were able to get him dressed today. Again, they took away the shoelaces. They gave him uh, loafers. And he came out today. They gave him a nice speech on. Um, he called. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. You know how he can't remember the city in which it happened in the following soundbite. In the following soundbite, you'll hear the most remarkable thing. It is an elderly man who is running for the presidency on the Democrat ticket, who confuses an AR-15 with an F-15. This is clip number Q on the Savage Nation. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. Look, the Second Amendment doesn't say you can't restrict the kinds of weapons people can own. You can't buy a bazooka. You can't have a flamethrower. to listen to my show yesterday. The guys who make these arguments are the people who say the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots. We need the protection against the government. We need an F-15 for that. You oh. need something well beyond oh, whether or not good. you're going to have an assault. All right, wait a minute. I think right now, Biden's just, hold on. Biden just came out saying everyone should be able to buy an F-15 to protect us from a tyrannical government. That's the first time he ever made sense. Does anyone know where I could buy a used F-15? Does Uganda have any for sale? I'll be right back. Savage. You know, the best argument for not changing the Second Amendment in any way are the Democratic candidates are running for office. They are, by every definition, demagogues. They are like mini Pol Pots, some of them in skirts, some of them in pants. But all of them are espousing almost the same rhetoric of Pol Pot, 
who I want to remind you was the, the dictator who led to the death of millions of Cambodians. If you saw the movie The Killing Fields many years ago, you'll know what I'm talking about. And Pol Pot did not start out as a murderer of his own population. He began as a quiet professor. Sound familiar? Elizabeth Warren. And then he went to Paris to study Marxism. That's where it's the best place to study is in Paris. He came back, he instituted some of the tenets of Marxism. He attacked the middle class, which was anyone with eyeglasses, teachers, doctors, lawyers, engineers, cops, accountants. And he enlisted the youth of Cambodia. He gave them a dignity. He called them the Khmer Rouge. So when you see these wilding gangs in the streets of America now, if any of these Democrats wanted to deputize these wilding gangs, that's what we're talking about happened in Cambodia. And they started picking on the middle class, herded them, beat them, put them into slave labor, and eventually they wound up killed. There's museums about it. Ask any Cambodian. Ask any Cambodian if every presidential candidate on the Democrat side doesn't sound like a Pol Pot, which is why we need the Second Amendment left the hell alone. Savage. We're going to continue our discussion about the mass murders over the weekend. What we know so far is the first one was driven by racial animosity. He was a white supremacist who wanted to kill Mexicans. We also know for sure the second one was not a white supremacist. He was just a deranged drug addict who specialized in hating women and with lyrics uh, that expressed his hatred for women, killed his own sister. What conclusions we can draw from this, we don't know, but the politicians have already concluded that we need gun control, and Trump's going along with it. Republicans are going to sign into law the most significant gun safety legislation in 20 years. That's right. It's happening under Trump. It's called the Red Flag Gun Control Bill. Now, what's interesting about this Red Flag Gun Control Bill means is that law enforcement can take guns from those who pose an imminent danger. Sounds good on paper. But which judge do you know is capable of making that decision accurately in every case? They could say you pose an imminent danger if your neighbor doesn't like you. You you could pose an imminent danger. You could take your guns away. I'm not so sure if I like it. So now the whole issue comes down to the mental health part of it. And joining us is an expert on it, Dr. John Huber. He's with a group called Mainstream Mental Health org, a nonprofit org that brings lasting and change to the lives of individuals suffer from mental health issues. Joining us now is Dr. John Huber on line 10. Dr. Huber, welcome to the Savage Nation. Dr. Huber, are you there? I guess Dr. Huber was there and he's not there. Jim is busy making a, a sterno can. Hello, Michael Savage. Hi there, Dr. Huber. So we're talking about mental health now and the red flag gun control bill is picking up momentum with the GOP and Congress, they would uh, allow, law, allow law enforcement to take guns from those who pose an imminent danger. How do we know who poses an imminent danger? Well, you know, that, that is a slippery slope. You've got to worry about that. And I know here, here in Texas, when I get asked to do a civil commitment, for example, for somebody who is an imminent threat to themselves or others, it, it's a difficult thing. It's not a very easy thing to do. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been asked by families, oh, well, we think, you know, my uncle here is an alcoholic. He's an imminent threat to himself or others. And that doesn't cut the mustard uh, with the judges and the criteria we have to meet 
in the courtroom as a mm. psychologist to say somebody is an imminent threat. The other problem, though, is like you said, you know, which judge uh, deems an imminent threat, that can be, you know, kind of shaky ground. I've had some <laughs> judges who say, okay, they're going to kill themselves or somebody else in the next 24 hours. That's imminent. And I've had another judge say, well, in the next two weeks, is he going to kill somebody or himself? And says that's imminent. So, you know, President Trump is endorsing this bill along with Lindsey Graham. This is a very, very slippery, dangerous uh, decision that they're making without any input from the American people or experts like yourself. You obviously want good mental health in the country. You want peace and Absolutely. safety in the country, as do I. But we also don't want to take away constitutional rights. It seems to me such a red flag gun control bill clearly violates the Second Amendment. What would you say, Dr. Huber? Well, I, I think so. And I, I think what we have to do is be very certain that our 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 due process is, is in place. And I, I'm really just baffled by this. I mean, 2017, we had the most data this for gun shootings and stuff. We had 47,000 people shot to death that year. We had less than 300 that were involved in mass shootings, but it made up 83% of the news, you know, and... Uh, it, well, because, come on, let's face it, mass, sh- huh? mass shootings are very terrifying. It's, it's like a war scene. It's a war scene. It's not a domestic scene at that point. But you're an expert in this. The laws worry me because we know laws are imperfect. And whether gun violence can be even, um, whether red flag laws work to prevent gun violence, the uh, evidence is inconclusive on it. And that's according to a study by the Rand Corporation on the effectiveness of gun safety measures. But you as an expert, you deal with this. What are some of the warning signs of a person who, who is clear, clearly in eminent danger of killing himself or someone else? Well, they oftentimes have very poor uh contact with reality their ability to to make rational judgments are very limited at the very best uh, i mean if we look at just the data of these individuals we know that about 79 percent of them uh have something that every a lot of people have had they're single or recently separated so you add that to that lack of of reality testing and uh the the fact that uh they don't necessarily understand right from wrong at that moment, and you have some serious implications for violence in your in your. Well, let's look at the Dayton shooter. He was in a porno grind band. I'm sure you read that by now, right? Uh, I have not read that specific. Thing. Oh, it's an amazing story. He he performed vocals in a band called Menstrual Munchies. Every other song was anti-woman, misogynistic to the core. Some of the words I can't even read on this show. He goes crazy. He shoots up this uh, club and he kills his own sister how could anyone have predicted this like how could they not have predicted it i mean his band should have been arrested in advance exactly 62 percent of the shooters since 2000 had a history of being abusive bullying and misogynistic so that should be part of the Uh, let's focus on this misogynism in in a lot of the male shooters there used to be uh in the 60s you know i said it on the show earlier you know, make love, not war thing. Is it really true, from your point of view, that when people become sexually frustrated, they can become more violent? They can become more violent. And I think what's happened since the 60s is we've had this demonization of masculinity, appropriate masculinity, where men take an appropriate leadership role and not a bully role, not a, not a I hate mm. you role, do what I say, mm. but an actual appropriate male role where we lead, we lead by example, we show true empathy, we also show clear boundaries and limits, 
and we don't jump to punishment every time somebody does something wrong. You use it as teaching moments, and you become a true patriarchal leader in your family. And Yeah, but white boys in particular are being told that they're no good, their race is no good, their country is no good, uh, the heroes that built the nation are no good. It's becoming insane, and it's enough to make any boy crazy. Absolutely, and we also know single single mother families. The the children in those families are eighty percent more likely than children raised in in dual parent families to do time behind bars. But male father, single male parent families don't have that eighty percent increase. We've oh. got to get back. To wow, that's quite a that's an embarrassing that's an inconvenient truth. It, it, it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Definitely. I mean, I never knew that. So a single parent family. The results of the children are different between a single mother family and a single father family. I think I lost the guest, Robert. Something. No, I'm I'm still here. Yeah, they are they are different. And what tends to happen is that female single parent families they tend to say, "Okay, we got to be a team, and we have to work together." Whereas a male fa- single parent family says, "Here are the rules. Here's what you do. Here's how we do things." So what happens is that team player child at eight or nine years old gets home at two thirty or three o'clock in the afternoon, and becomes a pseudo adult and starts making adult decisions long before they have the skills or the experience necessary. And then mom gets home at five thirty or six that night, and as that child gets older, more risky behavior becomes available to that child, and they make less and less appropriate decisions because they've been this pseudo adult for a long time, and they end up getting themselves into trouble. I don't think you're too popular in uh, Manhattan, I would think, as a psychologist. But, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I don't think Austin, Texas would be one of yeah. your... Uh, I don't think you'd be invited to speak at the University of Texas at Austin. But you are a clinical forensic psychologist, a practitioner with privileges at two long-term acute care hospitals. We're talking about mass shootings, two in one weekend. What is the psychological analysis of the first shooter who said he wanted to kill as many Mexicans as possible. He, he would clearly fall into the category of a white supremacist, would he not? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. And, but uh, the you second know, one, who was in a misogynistic band, hated women, dressed in a dress with a black executioner's mask on stage, as I put on michaelsavage.com, there's a picture of him. He's not a white supremacist. He was just a crazy person, wouldn't it yes. be true? And, and he's different than most mass shooters. He started with his family member. That's not typically how they go. So he, why would he kill? Why would he kill his sister? You know, um, obviously there's there's some underlying hate there for that individual, definitely. And she pushed all his buttons. You know, I mean that's one of the things we see with mentally ill people. A lot of times, their families know all the right buttons to set them off. And oh wow, 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 ho ho! That's interesting. The families can provoke people who are marginal. Absolutely. I mean, come on, haven't you ever gone and visited your uncle who could say that one word to you and ruin your whole afternoon? I don't have to go to my uncle to do that. (laughs) (laughs) My wife's in the other room. I just came back from a family barbecue in Los Angeles. Everybody was pushing everybody's buttons. That's right. That's right. Now, now, but but the difference is you you get but the difference is you get a little insulted. Or you laugh, but you don't pick up uh, something that hurt them, you know, with anything, you know. So a sane person can get provoked but not hurt, harm anybody. Uh, An insane person strikes out in in, in a way that's pathological, correct? Absolutely, and that's that's the difference right there. Now, statistically, mentally ill individuals are far more likely to be victims than ever perpetrators. 
But when they do go over that edge and they perpetrate, there's no limits to what they can do. Are you called, you know, in your work, you must be called someone who, uh, because the mentally ill lobby, the mental lobby, the mental lobby is so powerful, you're not allowed to criticize anyone who declares themselves mentally ill. Suddenly they're above the law. Well, it's interesting because when I go into court, I have to I have to fall back on all the data and statistics. I can't make a personal opinion. I have to give them ah. actual supportable uh, data. And if I don't do that, I'm I'm no longer having a job to do. I mean, I'm so your job as an ex an expert witness in a trial is to determine whether someone is or is not mentally competent. Well, competency is something the psychologists do make a declaration on. Other things, it's left to the judge. So I just do data collection, show them what the test results are, and then the judge makes the call. It depends specifically by jurisdiction exactly how much I can actually identify. But competency is one of them almost universally across the board. We're speaking with Dr. John Huber, H-U-B-E-R. His website is MainstreamMentalHealth.org. When we come back, Dr. Huber, I want to ask you why you think mass shootings have become more common in the United States of America. I'd like your opinion when I come back on The Savage Nation. Savage. We're talking about the tragedy of the mass shootings. We know the first one was a white supremacist with racist ideology. The second one was not a racist. So far as we know, he was a leftist, member of Antifa, he was a plain-out psychotic hater of women and killed his own sister. So you can't generalize. In that case, we're speaking with an expert on the subject on the Savage Nation, Dr. John Huber with MainstreamMentalHealth.org. And uh, he knows what he's talking about. He studies these issues very carefully. Dr. Huber, again, I want to ask you the leading question. Why do you think mass shootings seem to be more common in America today? What do you think is going on here? Well, I think I think it's a numbers game. First of all, I think you know when, when this start. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I did some research. I found some of these mass shootings back to 1820s. Um, but the thing is, now we have instantaneous media. We have a 15 minute news cycle instead of a 24 hour news cycle, and everybody in their world, you know, has their own broadcasting tool with their cell phone. So mm. we're getting slammed left and right, and then people don't let things go and. It, it bleeds, it bleeds, it leads. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. And yes. everybody wants to be the next uh, biggest thing on social media. So we get inundated with these murders and mass shootings. You know, when we have Chicago every week, we, we lose 30 to 50 people getting shot every week in Chicago, but it doesn't make anything but local news. And uh, this is so horrific because it strikes us at that one place where we're supposed to feel safe when we go to schools, when we go shopping and, and, and exploit capitalism and, and, and live the American dream, and we're targets when we go there. But the statistics how, really... How would you... Let's say someone in the family is li- listening to this show, and they know there are gun owners in the family who they think are marginal. How, just what are the key signs of imminent danger in that individual? Well, everybody has slight different tendencies, but one of the things I look for is, how, how is this person? Are they a bully? Do they, are they abusive? Uh, do they drink a lot? Do they have problems with, with drugs and alcohol? Do they have any history of family violence? Those are some of the bigger red flags that they could potentially turn that gun on somebody indiscriminately. 
Um, we know that uh, of the shooters since 2000, a third of them have a criminal history. Uh, 62, almost two-thirds of them have that history of being a bully or abusive. And about 15 to 20% have uh, domestic violence history. So those are, those are the things in your family you would know about, whereas an outsider may not know about in that family that I would be worried about right there. The, the second shooter, the Dayton shooter, as I say, uh, is seen wearing a lady's dress and a black uh, executioner's mask on stage performing with his psychopathic band cohorts in the yes. grunge, grunge metal band. He was clearly a mental case, wasn't he? Uh, to me, he was a nutcase. And yeah, he I had, mean, uh, you know. And yet he had a gun. But the, qu- the question is, uh, how do you detect in advance? We don't have an answer. There's no machine that's going to do it. And so those who are against the Second Amendment are now saying, okay, this proves they're all white supremacists. This proves that nobody should have a gun. This proves that the countries that have no guns have less uh, violence. Some of that is true and some of it is false, though, isn't it? It absolutely, a lot of it is actually false. I mean, we think about it. 9-11, we lost 3,000 people, and they used a box cover, cutter in an airplane. Not one gun was involved. And they were driven by Islamic uh, supremacism, weren't they? Well, yeah, religious ideation, and that's a trigger right there. Religious ideation and political ideation are two of the worst triggers for terrorists, not necessarily mass shooters, mass killers. That goes back to the mental health side of it, whereas the the terrorists are not going to show up as being mentally ill if I were to have been given the opportunity to evaluate them using my psychological... Well, I would say anyone who reads their holy book and lives in the first century A.D. is mentally ill in, in our world. They shouldn't even be allowed in the country if they're practicing a first century view of their religion. But that's my opinion. It's one man's opinion. Dr. John Huber, thanks for being with us. MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Huge topic. We're not going to solve all the world's problems in any one day on the program. Please go to michaelsavage.com or catch my podcast wherever great podcasts can be heard. Thanks for listening. The Westwood One Podcast Network. <laughs>